Greetings, this is The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things books and publishing. I'm Dean Karpwitz. I'm Molly Krassel. I'm Kai Richmond. Today on the show, we're going to talk about some books that influenced us when we were younger to make us who we are. And we're going to start with Molly. Molly has a few titles that have made her Molly with bat ears on and... (laughs) And her cloak that she wore today. It's true. I I came in with bat ears and a cloak today because, of course, we got to talk about vampires. Mm -hmm. Classic. Uh, Probably the biggest influence, I think, on my childhood, because this is is what all my fanfics were about, and I'm I'm sorry to start that so early, (laughs) (laughs) is Cirque du Freak by Darren Shan. It is a 12-book series about a young boy who becomes a vampire's apprentice and basically runs away from his family, uh, becomes part of a freak show, um, and his misadventures as uh, as a vampire. I'm looking at it now. It's, the genre is vampire fiction. I didn't know we had a genre <laughs> there, for that. There must be. The saga of Darren... Darren Shan. Shan, yeah. yeah. So what, what about it kind of caught your fancy... I was about 11 or 12 mm-hmm. or 13, and I had just always been surrounded by, I don't want to say horror, but... Vampires? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, every Halloween or near the Halloween season, you get things like Interview with a Vampire mm-hmm. on, and I think Cirque du Freak really spoke to me because it was the first sort of vampire story that was more accessible to my age group. Mm-hmm. Vampires as a whole, you know, are pretty sexy mm-hmm. uh, as far as literature is concerned. There's and a lot of the erotic, right, yes. in with the vampire lore. And Cirque du Freak wasn't like that. It yeah. was just the story of a kid and his struggles. And it had, I want to say, an interesting take on the vampire genre, but I think it was a little bit before the vampire genre was the vampire genre. Because uh-huh. this predates Twilight. Before we had vampire fiction. Right. Before mm-hmm. there was vampire fiction, Cirque du Freak was cutting into vampire fiction. Mm-hmm. So it was dark. It was gross. It was interesting. It was new. And it was, I, I want to say kid-friendly, but there was there was some vampires and death. So it was, you know, it was edgy. <laughs> it was edgy. <laughs> and I absolutely love it. So did you identify with the protagonist then? Were you kind of an out, outcast? Do you have to ask that question? <laughs> Because <laughs> the answer Yikes. is yes. Yeah, I, I was going to, I was kind of, well, when we get to mine, I'm going to admit some things about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, I've already admitted the fan fiction, so yeah, yeah. it can only go down from here. Yeah, like they go hand in hand sometimes, right? <laughs> I don't I don't know if I ever personally thought like, oh, yes, I identify hardcore with Darren Chan, but something about it just really spoke to me. My favorite part about it is that there are a lot of things happening in the background. Mm-hmm. And so Darren is growing. He grows from a young teen to near adultish. And a lot of things happen in the meantime that he doesn't have any control over. Ah. There are things that he does, but there are also things happening around him. And as a kid, that also really spoke to me because there are like a bunch of things happening mm-hmm. and you see different people doing different things. And I liked how there were just unflinchingly ugly characters or how some of the morality was sort of gray, that there were just Mm -hmm. things that happened where people did terrible things for really good reasons. Mm. And in the end, they didn't work out. Yeah. 
but so it was complex and it wasn't afraid to be complex. Yeah. It ran from just 2000 to 2004 with 12, (laughs) 12. It felt like forever waiting for the next volume to come out because it was. Were um, they relatively short or was she pumped? Is it she? Uh, He. He. Yeah. The author's name is also Darren Shan. Okay. I got you. (laughs) Um, they came out in, uh, England first. Ah, so they just republished them here and that's when yeah, the run was. Yeah, they, okay. they changed it a couple of things. Cause I remember before I think the ninth volume came out, um, my friend's grandmother went to England and brought back like the next four books and we were like, yes, yes. But all the spellings were like slightly oh, different. Oh yeah. You had the O and the U and mm-hmm. there was color and, and the color. Yeah. 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 Flavor. Well, that's not your only title. No, I really do enjoy fantasy escapism. So how can we get away from any childhood conversation without talking about Harry Potter? We can't. <laughs> it's impossible. We really can't. Not with not with my age group. Harry Potter absolutely dominated. Well, and I mean, that's something that has resonated among multiple generations. Still. Like it's it's still and it's we're there's still like fanfics going out about it. Like there's that uh <laughs> Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. We don't talk about that. Oh, we don't. We don't talk <laughs> about that. Okay. I I haven't read that personally. I've read all the the main books. I haven't read The Cursed Child. I have um, read the plot summary and I am sorry to say that it reads like bad fanfiction. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. It was co-written I think with J.K. Rowling or Rowling. I'm honestly not sure how it's pronounced. Porque no los dos. Yes. <laughs> so it was co-written by the original author and someone else, and it was intended to be a play, and it is. I mean, it runs, and many people love it. But as I was reading it, it sort of invalidated all the rules of magic that had been set up, mm. and consistency across worlds is, is really important. Messed yeah. up canon a little bit. Yeah, and it tried to do some good things, and I appreciate the things that it was trying to do, but it also came across a lot like something that you would just see on the sci-fi channel. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was uh, tragic. <laughs> so the books themselves, when they came out, I was a, a bookstore manager. Oh, yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> what I would find is even the even the adult booksellers would be sitting in the break room reading the, mm-hmm. the latest volume. Uh, that had come out. And there's all this talk about how the novel was kind of dying or how print was dying. But, oh. you know, the the day before a launch for a Harry Potter book, pallets and pallets of that, whatever title it was, would come in and we would sell out. There'd be people dressed mm-hmm. the parts. They'd be waiting at midnight for the launch and I all this other kind of stuff. midnight launches. Yeah. But even the adults said that, I, so I'd say, what do you, what is it about this series of books, you know? I had not read it, and and um, the booksellers across the board would say it just brings you back to being a kid and discovering a love of stories for the first time, the magic of sort of storytelling. Mm-hmm. But as a kid, you're not, you're not. It's not nostalgia. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what about it made you kind of who you are? The world is so encompassing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely transformative. It takes you to another place entirely, a world where there is, like you mentioned sort of before the show, something lurking underneath the surface. But it's a little bit, it's not so much like the secret elitism, at least it never was for me. It's yeah. just there's, there's magic in the world. Yeah. There are things that you don't know about and there are things that you can do and forces that are powerful and strong and you could be powerful and strong too. Yeah. I suppose it was... As a child, very empowering because you had a lot of 
different kinds of people doing a lot of different kinds of things and succeeding you know in a in a largely male dominated perspective you had even though the main character also is male you have Hermione Granger yeah who always spoke so deeply to me she's a nerd yeah she loves to learn she sponges up knowledge when the teacher asks a question she's the first to shoot her hand up in the air and i was that kid yeah and everybody is you know they pick on her for it um but then eventually they're like you know what hermione is really smart and that's really cool and so that that really spoke to me yeah, I was going to ask you whether there was a character that you identified with, but obviously it's Hermione Granger. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can be you can question. be the smart girl, and everyone respects the smart girl, and she's cool. They do. Um, and then you have one one more title that we have to get to. I do. Uh, Lois Lowry's The Giver. Yes, we had to read it for I think sixth or fifth grade uh, English class. Uh-huh. So good. And oh man, that book shook me. Yeah. What about it? It's so hard to say the. Mm-hmm. It's again, I, I really like the fantasy escapism, although the giver is dystopian. Yeah. So it is a world where everything is radically different. And you have one boy who is growing up and asking questions about the world around him. And instead of being encouraged, he is largely shut down. Mm-hmm. People say, you know, don't say that. Your language is imprecise. You are using, you know, the wrong words. You have the wrong ideas. And I, I think there's just like a strong sensory input mm. because the, so the giver is about a boy named Jonas who receives memories, the memories of the collective community from one man who is called the giver. So mm-hmm. he's the receiver until he later becomes or question mark. <laughs> uh, Doesn't. Does he? Yeah. Who knows? You'll have to read it. Yeah. Uh, so he is receiving memories of the world that have been forgotten mostly by the people around him. And so the things that he's experiencing, the things that he is literally seeing, like the world that they see is in black and white and he is seeing color for the first time. So he's literally perceiving everything around him with a different context. And, and I, yeah. the isolation, I think, sorry, <laughs> yeah. I'm on a roll. I think it really spoke to just how isolating it can be sometimes to grow up and how to be a kid so to be a kid and how just you know adults don't take you seriously and even when you do know slightly more things than they do or something different yeah how a large group of people does what they think might be best and it isn't i think that like with the giver and when you were talking about Mm -hmm. the speech in the giver when it's very much like you're not allowed to say these certain things yeah like there's a very specific part in the book where he's in the household and he says something. I don't remember exactly what it's. Like, I but think it's, it's love. Yeah, he 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 expresses something, and they said like you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, and I could almost relate that to how a lot of internet culture, or even just social cultures today, mm. it's very much like that where. Yeah. Once we we thought that like and and I still think this where it's like I don't think speech should be limited. Yeah, it's very much like it's freedom of speech for a reason. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas there are certain people out there that are it's becoming largely a majority now. Yeah. Where it's you are not allowed to say certain things. Yeah. You're not allowed to offend. You're not allowed to do these things. But yeah. I'm like I I would argue against that. Yeah. You right. Know? Right. Yeah, I could definitely make a comparison, especially with the giver. But yeah. also just the control of a language and how you can utterly tear a person down by saying, if somebody, I think that specific example or something like that is he says something like, Mom, do you love me? And she says, the word love doesn't mean anything. That word is absolutely meaningless. How mm-hmm. you can... crazy. Right, yeah. right. So there's there's your whole dystopian. It's like, whoa. Yeah. But also 
how you can control a world, how you can control a thought, how you can control a person by saying, well, that word that you said, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So you're, you don't mean anything. You're yeah. making nonsense right now. And that really terrifies people, I think, because it definitely, it immediately puts a wall down. It shuts you off between who you're speaking yeah. to. And it says, no, you are not part. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a part in the book where he's talking to us. I think it was his father that was, he was like, do, do you love me? And he goes, hmm. Well, I appreciate you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is like, whoa. You're like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So it was chilling. Doesn't want to use the L word. Yeah. 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 Kai, you have at least one that you want to talk about. I I actually have a few. Oh, good. (gasps) Yeah, I have a couple. So um, the the first one, I think I talked to you about it briefly, was um, Percy Jackson. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. That, and it wasn't nearly as popular as, say, Harry Potter well, or, came, you know. No, it came before, didn't it? It, it did came, come before, and it unfortunately got movie remakes, which, ugh. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. We're not going to talk about those, Mm-mm. though. That's okay. We'll Mm-mm. put those in the past. Bury them. <laughs> but with Percy Jackson, like, and this was at a time when I was introduced to writing, and um, this was after a while of seeing other books and, and, and seeing how stories are made and, and um, how they're structured in a fantasy base, mm-hmm. which had always interested me. Mm-hmm. And I think that like with this one, it struck me a little bit harder than Harry Potter did because this didn't just encompass a society. It encompassed the universe. Yeah. Like it was very much like th- there's a phrase in there when Percy's talking to his history teacher, who's a centaur, you know, mm-hmm. like you do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And he's basically talking to him about, like, he's come to the realization that he is a demigod. And he's like, oh, wait, so there is no God. And his history teacher replies with, God? No. Gods? Yes. Mm -hmm. And it was like, whoa, Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like the general consensus is like it it encompasses not just the Americas or a certain country or something like that. It encompasses the planet, which is insane. And it, it really works to show, like, how certain societies in you know, the entirety of the God, you know, megastructure works and everything yeah, like yeah. that. So it's it's a really, really interesting read. And there, it's five of them. There, um, there was a New York Times article that was responded to in The New Yorker and a couple of other places that, you know, spoke to this series specifically with regard to how our children are learning. And one of the arguers was saying, this is dumbing down. Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. And if we want to teach our children Greek mythology, we should teach them Greek mythology from the original Greek stories. Um, that's super accessible. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, then there was a sort of slew of articles afterwards that were responding to and like livening up the kind of discussion that said, no, this, you know, this is making it accessible for young children and expanding their minds in the same sorts of ways. Right. This is the introduction. This is how you get into it. Yeah. It, it became a discussion about young adult literature, like what what sorts of topics right. should be on the table and how should that content be delivered to our children. Yeah. Right. I've never read these, but I've like read about them. I've um, read certainly. three of them. I think we read the first one for a young adult lit class, and mm-hmm. I wish that I it it would have just it would have clicked hardcore for me if I had read it earlier because i was so in love with mythology i am so in love with mythology yeah yeah Yeah, and i think that what what this one's like like i wouldn't give a 10 year old uh the odyssey to read right but i would give them this to read sure um like and it's it's that kind of says like they they could read this and be like i want to know the original source and they could go and they could look up the you know the Mm -hmm. odyssey which is a good read but like for a 10 year old 
probably later. <laughs> yeah, right. And so what about it? Just that it kind of expanded the your world? Yeah, yeah. like and and it comes from um someone who likes to write. Yeah. And yeah. had a, a yeah, childhood of like basically readers, scientists, like like my entirety of my family is like my dad's a physics major and my my grandmother uh taught mathematics for twenty years and like we had books around the house. Mm-hmm. We didn't have video games. We didn't have TV. We had books. Yeah. So when it came to, you know, finding an interest, that was the first thing at hand. Yeah. So forming a story around and, fi- you know, forming my own stories, I had great inspiration from these books for sure. Yeah. And Royden started writing these books because he had a child who had ADHD and dyslexia and was learning about Greek mythology in grade school mm-hmm. and then started asking, saying, Dad, can you tell me bedtime stories based on what I'm learning in school? Cool. And they sort of spawned into this group of, you know, tales. Yeah. Just kind of cool. There are quite a few spinoffs, too. Yeah. 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 All right, your other. So, what else um, were you talking and about? The, so my dad, when I was very, very young, tried to get me into adult stuff right off the bat. Uh-huh. Um, like gave me Tolkien to yeah. read when I was seven and I was like, okay, you know, like, I was like, I'll try to read this, Yeah, but it wasn't Tolkien that I got into. Mm-hmm. It was Piers Anthony ah. that I got into yeah. the Xanth novels, yeah. which was weird, zany. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. It was because it broke fourth walls, like all the time, yeah, all the time. And it made me think of how to create a story that weaved around itself yeah. and right. sometimes weaved back again. Yeah. Some of these books, like uh, the first one I read was Castle Rudna, and it blended exciting fantasy with comedy. Yep. And it it was just this wonderful tandem. And it was almost chaotic, but it was like a collective chaotic. Yeah. And I, and I really, I, I love how he structured the books. It was very interesting. And for someone that was generally younger, it resonated with yeah. me for some reason. I, I don't really know how to explain it. And humor... Is really hard to do. Yes, uh, we we interviewed um, Piers Anthony. We didn't. We really. Didn't, yeah, we didn't inter- interview him on the air. We he had us send him a group of questions via email. Oh my so, gosh! So we do have a copy. One of the Straylights has a uh, interview with him. Gotta look at you have that. Have to look back. At it. <laughs> yeah, I gotta look at that. Mine are odd. Um, <laughs> I can remember. How much more odd can they be? So I too. I think it's probably um, something all, all of us share. I, too, was really sort of into fantasy mm-hmm. uh, when I was younger. And there were a collection of, I don't know how I found them. I did spend a lot of time in, like, bookstores and stuff. And for me, I was sort of the freak of the family. Aww. The only, you know, books that were in our house were, like, fishing lure catalogs. Like, my dad had, like, hunting and fishing stuff. So there were no... Okay. No, there was no re- there were no readers in my family. And so I, I would spend time going to the bookstore, the library, and browsing through and just looking for stuff that I would... Because I didn't have a lot... I didn't have friends who were telling me, read this, you know right. what I mean? And so I'd found something called Thieves' World, which was a collection. It was a series of books. I don't know how many there were at the end. It was a really cool concept. It was the... Some of the big fantasy writers at the time, each of them got a character. And then there were, it was set in this town called Sanctuary, um, not the Diablo. Right, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so there's a few cities in uh, books, literature, and video games that are called yeah, Sanctuary. Sanctuary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, 
it was set in this town called Sanctuary, and each writer would write, would generate a short story that would turn into this collection of short stories that that's set so cool. in Sanctuary. And there were these kind of rules that they could use other characters, but they couldn't obviously kill off the other characters. Right. <clears throat> and just the kind of intertwining of it. That's so cool. I'm going to read this. Yeah. Well, so the thing is, is, you know, it sort of spoke to me at the time. This is mm-hmm. what I was, these are the kind of stories that I was really interested in. And then I went to graduate school later in life. And oh, no. when I got done. You can't go back, Dean. Yeah. I said to myself, as soon as I get done, I said, I, you know, I've read all of this stuff for all of these years. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to like my roots and read Thieves World. Right. And so I found it in my book collection Opened up the and I read the first story and it was just, the writing is just terrible. <laughs> and it's like I've been poisoned. I've my, my you know, you know one of my first loves has like been taken away from me in terms of literature and I couldn't I have do it. The same feeling yeah. about Harry Potter. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I bought I bought the seven book collection. I was like I'm gonna reread Harry Potter. It's gonna be a nostalgic time. And I looked at it and I was like Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's right. maybe it's that time in our lives. Or I don't I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I feel that way towards some movies that I've seen. Like, I've always liked um, Titan A.E. for a yeah, movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I own it now. Yeah. But, like, when you look at the Rotten Tomatoes for it, <laughs> yeah. oh, it's ripped yeah. to shreds. Yeah. It's no, like, no, oh. look at the critical reviews. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, but I like it. Matt Damon. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then my other is equally... <laughs> <laughs> um, embarrassing. I was super into like black belt theater and kung fu. Nice. Oh, yeah. When I was younger, <laughs> and so I found this collection. Again, it's a, it was a collection of very thin novels, and I think it went into the hundreds. Um, Jeez. It was it was called the Destroyer, and um, it's the <laughs> there was a movie made about uh, one of the books. I think it was late eighties. It was like it was Remo Williams and. It's this guy who ends up like becoming a secret agent, United States kind of version of James Bond, whose memory is wiped or past is wiped out. And he learns from this sort of wispy Chinese master named Shaun, uh, who teaches him how to, among other things, kill a man with a paper airplane, yes. which, <laughs> which at the time I thought was absolutely <laughs> cool. And... I, when I went to when I was down in graduate school, I went to Mississippi State. One of the uh, professors said, "What what on earth made you come down to Mississippi to Starkville, Mississippi, from Milwaukee? Why would you do such a thing, right, for graduate school?" Mm-hmm. And I, and I remember saying, uh, "In Milwaukee, I killed a man with a paper airplane, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm just hiding out here for a few years." Uh, while it kind of blows over. And so that became a running thing with the professor. You know, he'd see me, he'd be like, introduce me to a, a writer or something and say, this is this guy killed somebody with a paper airplane. You better watch out. It's kind of like this, the killed seven in one blow kind of yeah, deal. That, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right, yeah. And that, uh, the reason why it kind of made me sort of who I am, <clears throat> um, the first, my first attempt at a novel, I think I was 13 maybe, maybe 12, and, and I'd read those books and not only was I in karate and kung fu and all of that and obsessed with that at the time, I'd like walk around in like kung fu pants mm-hmm. and shoes. I r- started writing my first novel called Shadow Asp. Like, <laughs> I thought it was like cool, the man. coolest title <laughs> about a guy who like loses his memory or something and then has to kind of relearn who he is and does it through 
kung fu and kicking the living daylights out of bad guys. Nice. Classic. You know, sort of thing, yeah. It all comes back to fan fiction, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> it does. This whole episode was sort of about <laughs> fan fiction. We should do an episode, right? Well, doesn't yeah. that inspire, you know, uh, the, the first way that you learn to write is through imitation, right? Yeah, so fan sure fiction is... is and I did not have very good. Well, I mean, like models. nobody does. At yeah. the fr- oh, I thought you meant fan fiction. I'm like, oh, man, geez. nobody does right yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like with, with something like that, like yeah, we think it's ridiculous. Like later on, but like when you were a kid, like yeah. that sounds awesome. Yeah. Like it's like when I think of that, I think of a little movie that's 30 minutes long called Kung Fury. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's absolutely nonsense. But I was sitting there like, I love this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's stupid, but yeah. I love it. Yeah. And it's it's as simple as yeah. that, you know? Yeah. And my last one, just quickly, yes. is Catcher in the Rye. <gasps> yes. And I do have to say that, you know, when I got into ninth grade, I started to become a little punk. Um, <laughs> and I was like a closet reader and a closet listener to classical music and stuff like that. And I can remember, this is like... An, the nerd, like Rebel Without a Clue um, edition. <laughs> I went to the library and stole a copy of <laughs> oh my the school library. I didn't check it out. I just put it in you my jacket. It? Went, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> of Catcher in the Rye and then pretended I was sick, including because my mom wouldn't let me stay home unless I had a fever. And so I put the thermometer on a light bulb. Yes. <laughs> and then realized I was at a temperature of 106. Because like, it was on wait, there too wait, long, and then I was like shaking it down. <laughs> I'm like, I have to get it down to like 101 before she gets back in here. And then got to stay home and read all of Catcher in the Rye Fabulous. in one day. And that's part of what made me want to become a teacher, an English teacher. Oh, cool. Yeah. And that's sort of an up first time uplifting note Yay. that we're yeah. closing on. The Pub is produced at the University of Wisconsin Parkside from the studio at WIPZ 101.5 FM. You can tune in Sundays at 2 to catch new episodes. You can also find us on Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Or you can head over to our website at straylightmag.com for fiction, poetry, art, and of course, podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for regular updates on new content. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things books and publishing. Thank you.